Welcome to the Pool Nation podcast, where it's all pool talk. And we ain't talking about netting and jetting or splashing and dashing. We're talking about becoming a nation of pool pros. We talk about the latest products, trends, and training in the pool industry. Now let's welcome your host with over a decade of industry insider experience and still the reigning champion of Marco Polo, Edgar De Jesus, and his co-host, John J.J. Flawless, the fastest netter in the West, and Zach the Pool Boy Nicholas. Welcome, everyone, to the Pool Nation Live podcast with myself, your host, Edgar DeJesus. And yes, I am the reigning champion of Marco Polo, along with John J.J. Flawless, the fastest netter in the West, and the famous Zach, the pool boy, Nicholas. In this episode, we're going to talk about the current conditions of the labor market and how it's affecting everyone in our industry as well. We're also going to talk about hiring and the hiring process and how it affects you and your business. We'll also give you three steps to your interviewing process so you stand out from other employers. I want to welcome everyone to our live podcast, the podcast where it's all pool talk. And we ain't talking about netting and jetting and splashing and dashing. We're talking about becoming a nation of pool pros. And yes, we will talk about the latest products, trends, and training in the pool industry. But before we get started today, I want to thank our sponsors for this podcast, Ultimate Pool Tools, the SPPA, and the PoolmanUniversity.com. We want to thank them for their continued support. Zach, good morning. Morning, everybody. I think today's topic is one that um, I get asked about from time to time. I think it's a good one to be talking about today, especially if, like you were saying, everything that's going on um, in the economy, it's just getting real tricky out there. John, good morning. Good morning. Um, I have to agree with Zach 100%. I think, you know, we talk a lot of business on, on our podcast here, and that's what we're trying to educate everybody on and think the the most important part is people so the better understanding we have and the the higher quality employees we hire really determines or really makes or breaks a company so i'm looking forward to talking about it and kind of breaking it down and going through our experiences and what we found that worked for us currently and in the past so that hopefully anybody out there looking to add somebody on can uh, avoid those roadblocks John, you sound very like radio, radio voice. Is it me, Zach, or is it John? He sounds very radio voice today, like deep, like well, hurt. Well, you know what it was, right? I what? I was listening back to our old podcast where Zach did his Batman voice. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, I, I mean, I completely failed. So I've been oh. working on it. I'm glad you've noticed. <laughs> I was telling somebody I'm, that that I'm was Batman. that bad. John, I was telling somebody about that, that it was so bad that I wanted to edit it out and they just wanted to listen to it just because of that. Yeah, no kidding. I, seriously, <laughs> I, I was I was going through listening to some of our podcasts and I came across that one and I just started cracking up, you know, and I'm sure I'm probably the only idiot out there, right? Like thinking that's that funny. But, you know, when you're a, 
<laughs> you know, but I was just like, oh my God, Zach, you nailed it, brother. You did. <laughs> you did, man. You nailed it. It sounded you. like Christian Bale. And yeah, you inspired time. me, man. You inspired me. So I've been working on it. I'm glad that, um, that my effort paid off. So, yep. So, uh, Joel over here is saying John's noted like Michael Keaton version. So, oh. Anyways. Well, you're not going to say what mama said? Let's see. What did mama say? Oh. God, these things are going so quick. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, sexy voice. That's what I'm talking about. Damn, you got it going on. Hey, guys, let's do. We want to jump in quick into our podcast today. I, we're kind of all got a lot of things going on. We know it's summertime. John's really busy. Zach's really busy uh, having to head out. So we're we're going to get started just really quick, guys. John, there was one message that was sent to me, and that was uh, Corey Holland. He's from out here in Texas. I think he's like San Antonio. He wanted an episode on calcium buildup and how to deal with all that. And he suggested that what we do is we get John to come out on a business trip, and then he'll show you all around Texas. So you already Let's have somebody it. kind of volunteering going, I'll take John wherever. I'll, I'll show him Texas. So, Let's do it. So I'm I thought be, that I'm was going to be there in cool. November. Hey, guys. Before we jump in, one more thing, and that is that we have partnered with Yelp, and they do a podcast called Behind the Review with Emily Washkovich, and we're going to do a series of about four podcasts with them where we talk about online strategies, what are the platforms that you guys should be on, what your business information should look like across all of those platforms, and also one of my favorite is a review response strategy to handle online reviews and online customers. They have their podcast, their Yelp podcast that they do. We kind of reached out. We partnered with them. They're excited to do it. So we're going to have a series of four coming up soon, and we will kind of jump into that. John, Zach, anything before we get started? I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Let's so go. guys, bef before we get started talking about what to look for when hiring, and we talk a little bit about retention, let's talk a little bit about the job market, because to me, this data that I found was really interesting. We currently have an unemployment rate of about 5.8%. It's just a little bit down from April 6.1. And there were 9.3 million job opening. And that is absolutely an unheard of number of job openings. I think, you know, me looking at it, I would think that people would be flocking to fill those jobs since we've been in a pandemic, we've been locked up, a lot of people lost their jobs. And it's really interesting that most companies that you talk to say that they can't hire people fast enough and that the market is really competitive when it comes to hiring. And it's not just our industry, but every industry out there. And companies like Amazon and Walmart are having a hard time even while they're throwing tons of money at their jobs and perks and all that kind of stuff. The interesting thing is the biggest demand for labor right now is coming from retail, John, some of your background, hospitality, and warehousing. And according to the Atlanta Fed, the fastest wage growth is among workers with only a high school diploma. And then the thing that I found the most interesting was that more people are quitting their jobs than any time in the past 20 years. John, you've worked in retail. If I was to tell you that in the middle of the pandemic, once everything got back to normal, would you believe me that people were just not flocking back to those jobs? Absolutely not. I mean, common sense and past lessons from history would suggest the opposite, right? But these are really uncharted territories, and I've learned that anything can happen 
and the unbelievable becomes believable and the cinema plots that we watch on TV easily become reality. I can vividly remember the conversations I had with multiple service company owners unsure if they would be bankrupt the next day when the pandemic hit us. What a ride it's that we've been on and wow, it's been one thing after another for all of us. So all I can say is buckle up boys and girls because unfortunately this ride isn't quite over yet. Every time that we think that something's going to kind of go back to normal, something, something else from left field just kind of comes and just smacks everybody. So it's been just absolutely crazy. I, me thinking and John looking at the hospitality industry, I thought that we people would flock back. And that's one of the industries that's having the hardest time getting people back well, to work. I, what I think, too, is and I don't know this for sure, but this is just sense is how I'm thinking. And. I don't think it's just that people aren't coming back. We forget to understand that because so many businesses are booming, especially in these kind of different areas now, like for us, that there's a lot more jobs that are being created too. So not only do you have people that are gone or were gone because of the pandemic, but because the demand is so much higher, now there's more positions. So not only are the people that weren't there before because of the pandemic, but now there's additional positions that also need to be. Uh, filled. So the demand is really high for employees, right? Or to have people and uh, the supply is low. I think we have to take that into perspective too. You know, it's interesting that you say that, John, because when I was kind of doing the research and doing the statistic, one of them was that there was applications for like 2.5 million new businesses. See, and that's that what I mean. Yep. And that a lot of people, you're absolutely right, that a lot of people have decided to kind of start their own businesses. And that 2.5 was already more than half than previous years. It was just an absolute crazy number. But that makes absolute sense that people are just kind of going, oh, we'll start our own business. So. Well, yeah. And then they and they're growing and then they looking for employees. You know, manufacturers just throwing their hands up and saying, oh, they're just not coming back. Well, no, they're just finding a better jobs. You know, and it's not just that it's unprecedented times. And I get it, you know, that usually the manufacturers and the businesses like that, they got us by the, you know what? Oh, yeah, they'll come back. They'll come back. They need it. They need it. They need it. Well, now it's not really that way. The tables have kind of turned a little bit. Right. And you got to change. So, um, yeah, it's it's crazy. And the interesting thing is. You know, how we've talked is that a lot of the workforce where the big high demand and the higher wages is in a lot of those high school diploma only positions. So that's where the demand is. So you're absolutely right that the tables have absolutely, you know, turned. So, Zach and John, let me ask you, why do you think that those people aren't flocking to all of those jobs? So. You know, thinking about that, I I honestly couldn't tell you. I had Zach, a couple vehicles. Yeah. Zach, can I stop you for a second? For some reason, we're getting a little bit of a funny feedback on on your end right there. You know what it is? I think the cat's out of the bag. You use like, you know, singers nowadays use auto tunes. You use this little <laughs> voice. And that's how you came up with that. That Batman voice. It wasn't really you, Zach. You got your filter on. I have no clue. I don't know how to so, fix it. Zach, every time that you talk, you, there's like this funny feedback that kind of keeps going through. through uh, thing. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if you want to try to, you know, disconnect yeah, your mic. Or, but yeah, it's any time that you talk right there. So we'll we'll give you here a second here to see if we can get see? that. 
Batman. How's that? Jack. Oh, the, that's you're loud. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> a, li- a, a little aggressive, huh, John? Jeez, see? <laughs> so it was my Perfect. real voice. It was my real voice. <laughs> he, he yelled and he yelled and just by natural reaction, Zach, I, John, I just sat up straight. <laughs> yeah, like Whoo. yeah. Better listen up. Uh, uh, sorry, John, uh, Zach. So l- let me bring you back. So why do you think that that could be that people are not flocking back to those jobs? Well, so as I was saying. You know, as we're trying to hire the job ads that other companies are putting out, they're having higher wages, they're offering more benefits, and that's gone up significantly in just a few months. So it's getting very competitive in what other companies are offering. Um, And as you guys were saying, everyone I know is busy. And because of that, they're hiring more help. And I was starting to say that, you know, all the way to our auto mechanic, it's like getting a truck fixed right now is taking a long time. And I'm talking to him. He's like, man, I've never been this busy before. And I I still don't even factor in how like auto mechanics and everything that's going on is at such a high demand. You know, and I have kind of a funny story on this. So several years back, there was a time where I decided that I wanted to get a second job to supplement our income. And I had set up a ZipRecruiter account. And now... With everyone hiring and everything that's going on, I'm constantly getting these email pings about positions available at a lot of our competition. And the emails are saying, like, you would be such a perfect match for this role over here at, you know, ABC pools. And I'm getting those notifications every day. But it's crazy because everyone is hiring. What about you, John? I think it's very, very simple. And we touched on it before. It's supply and demand. It's a two-way street. We always correlate it with, usually, we usually correlate it with products and manufacturing, but reality is jobs are affected by it too. Demand is way up and supply is down. So in turn, it's going to cost more to meet that demand. Manufacturers complain they can't hire people or people won't stay on. People get jobs for what? They get jobs to get paid to support a family. They need money. If they have an option to one job here, one job there, and this job is practically the same job as the other job, but one job has many more benefits or pays you more, natural selection is that you're going to go there. There's some people that might not because they have a different tie or something else motivates them, but money is one of the biggest factors. It's really simple. I don't understand why People in the boardroom or the big heads up top can't figure that out. Only reason why I think they don't figure it out is because they've never really been in that position or they haven't been in that position in such a long time or have never been in that position because they're always the ones with the strings controlling everything or they figured they can do this or do that or whatever. But now when the tables have turned as applicants looking for places or, or looking for jobs, They don't know what the hell's going on. And all they're doing is throwing their hands up saying, oh, you just can't be done. If you really want it to happen, you just got to pay for it. How's that sound? Crickets. Crickets. (laughs) Do I have a cricket sound? I'm out. (laughs) That's all I had. That's all I had, John. All I have is this. Right. It's interesting. To me, I think it was a big shutdown. Everything closed and it gave time, a, a lot of people time to kind of reevaluate themselves and their lifestyles. And if you think about it, you know, we live in a world that it's, it's go, go, go. And people were just taking whatever jobs were available because 
those were the market conditions. And those market conditions were different. They were more favorable in a different way. And so now, kind of like you're saying, John, the tables have turned. So, you know, people now know that they're in demand, that they're the force that is needed out there. And I think what a lot of them are doing is, you know, they, they have the luxury to sit down and kind of go, you know, let's look at all these industries that are now hiring and let's take a look at it and see if we want to work in this industry or, or that industry. And is it time to change? So to me, I think a lot of people, you know, it really changed our pace. It really kind of changed how fast we were moving. And a lot of people had two, three part-time jobs just to be able to survive. And now you have jobs that are paying a lot more money where they don't need to have those, you know, two, three part-time jobs. And they do have the ability to stop and think and figure out what it is that they want. You know, I think to me, the tables have turned and those people that are looking for jobs can pick and choose what it is that they want to go do. So, and I think that, and I think a lot of the businesses like hospitality, and I can talk about hospitality because that was my background. I can see a lot of hotels just thinking, you know, we can pay the minimum wage. And when the pandemic is over, they're all going to come back because they're going to need jobs. Yeah. Well, guess what? The tables have turned. Now they're in high demand. So those people that were going to work in the hospitality industry or the restaurant industry, which we all know is lower paid industries, right? They always pay the minimum wage and stuff like that. Now they can sit there and go, I'm not going to go work at a hotel again because yeah. now I can go work somewhere else for higher pay. Here's the thing, John. I don't think they were all ready for it. I don't think that because it's been so crazy and everything that we thought was normal is not normal. And I try to look at it that way is like everything that probably worked in the past probably isn't going to work now because shoot, everything that we've been through and there's just none of it's working. But it puts those wage earners at that scale, right? Those high school diploma people a little bit more in control now. So now they can demand and look for those that are giving them benefits and the higher wages and all that kind of stuff. Again, the tables have turned. Zach's sitting really quiet over in the back, John. Zach's sitting there getting pumped up. I was just, I I was thinking on that too. Like one thing that you have to be cautious of is that, you know, they have to be careful raising wages and then having the market correct itself back down and having people stuck at a higher wage because it's going to be harder to bring those wages back down once they've been up. So I think, you know, and I'll touch on this in a little bit, but you have to get kind of creative with that and be careful that you don't make a permanent move that, you know, when things kind of, if things correct back down, you're kind of stuck in that position. That's a huge point, Zach. That's a really big point because I'm going to take off my hat and I'm going to put the company hat back on. At some point, there's going to be a correction. And it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when there'll be a correction, right? And things will kind of go back to normal. And that's a great point that these big companies will have to, because John, you've worked in retail. I've worked in hospitality. At the end of the day, we're kind of looking at numbers, right? We're looking at the profit and loss, especially for companies that are publicly traded, right? Absolutely. Companies that are publicly traded, and don't misunderstand me, people. They're companies, they're legit companies, they do. But at the end of the day, with a publicly traded company, 
they have to turn in earnings. They have to turn in numbers into Wall Street. And if they don't meet those numbers, what happens to their value? What happens to their stock? It, it takes a tanking and they they could lose millions, if not billions of dollars. So, you know, they're probably also on the other side, kind of looking at it, you know, for, from that standpoint. So yeah, I, uh, great I mean, point, no, Zach. No, they, they absolutely are. They absolutely are. But let me ask you this question. Do you ever think my bu- my bucket of tabs are ever going to be the same price they were a year ago? <laughs> I, no, I, that's I, the I said, second. I said, ever. That's and the that, second part of that. We've been yeah. talking about it since the beginning that that's not going to happen, John. Is chlorine ever going to go back down again? No. Never. No. Never. <clears throat> So, yeah. Come on. You know, I mean, yes. I get it. We all have memories of a goldfish, right? You know what I mean? So I actually, we've been doing price increases and I've been asked a couple times on, so when prices go back down, are you guys going to lower your rate? Nope. And it's like, you know, that's never going to happen. And I had one person ask how many times in the past have we lowered our rate? And it's like, never, because just it never happens. It's never going to go back down. All right, guys. So let's segue into talking about hiring, because if you're in the same situation and you're trying to get the right people on your team, you need to make sure that you're hiring the right person. And there's things that you need to do to hire the right person and attract the right person. Obviously, we talk about it. Having this process down can make you stand out and make a potential employee choose your company over another employer. So it's really important that you guys have this process in place that you dedicate time to it because in this tough market that could be an advantage right if i go to apply for a job at zach's and he's got that process that is streamlined that's professional and i go work for some random pool guy that just kind of doesn't even have an application and yeah, yeah start tomorrow then that could be an advantage that you have by having that process and To me, this is where it all starts. And if you don't know what you're looking for and you just hire a body, which I think a lot of people tend to do, you're really setting yourself up for a lot of headaches. For me, you know, over the years, as I'm trying to learn more about managing a business, the common theme I keep hearing is that, you know, how important the hiring process is and how crucial it is to your success. And you tend to hear a lot of sayings like hire slow, fire fast, or get the right people on the bus. And I'm finding that this has become our biggest focus right now. And it's one of the most challenging things for us to accomplish. And the people in your organization are going to be what make or break you. You know, the reason you generally want to hire is because you want to grow. And in order to grow, you need to be able to work on your business, not in your business. And in order to do that, you need people who are going to work in the business in place of you. And if you hire the wrong people, you'll find yourself spending all of your time following them around with a broom and a dustpan cleaning up the aftermath of the mess that they're making. And it sounds harsh, but this will happen. You know, and additionally, the process of advertising a job, interviewing candidates, hiring a person, and then onboarding, it costs a lot of money and a lot of very valuable time. And if it doesn't work out, you literally have to start from square one and spend all of that money and all of that time again to try to find another person and repeat that process. So this is why so many people place such a big importance on the hiring process. Wow. That was awesome, Zach. I love the work on your business, not in your business. Follow around your employees with a dustpan. That's pretty clever. I like that. And I'm going to keep that. So you hit the nail on the head right there because nothing is going to lay the groundwork for the future, like hiring the right person. 
getting the right employees on board is going to make sure that your company is successful. I've said this before and I'll say it again. You are only as good as the people that work for you. Perception of a company or an organization is perceived through the actions of their people, period. Here's an example, and it's a real simple one, but it's something that you can kind of wrap your head around and relate to. Two people can go into two different Bed Bath & Beyonds, and I'm only using them as an example, for the first time and leave with two completely different opinions of the company. How's that? The same company runs both, but each store is run by different employees, and in turn, the experiences are different. So you go into an establishment or a place of business or you get serviced by an employee who represents them, how they treat you and how they talk to you, how they communicate to you, how they make you feel is how you feel in turn about that company, especially if you've never had any prior experiences to chalk it up to. Your biggest asset are your employees and they're also your biggest expense, right, as a business owner. So You have to, it is so critical that you invest and you have the right people. Like what Zach said too, is where he said, hire slow, fire fast, because you can't just jump and bring anybody on because it can be detrimental to your business. And if, and if you need to nip something in the butt, or if somebody is making a bad name for you and your company or what you're trying to accomplish, they can be devastating and you need to be able to put that fire out. You need to be able to fire them quickly. So. Um, I think Zach, you said a lot of great things on there, and I, I, I completely agree with you 100%. I'm going to agree with both of you. If you do the hiring and you don't have a process and you don't have a focus on even what it is that you're looking for, my suggestion to you is that's the first thing that you start doing because I think a lot of people tend to not have a process in place or even know what they're looking for. And then when they get a situation like we're in now where we just need people, we need people, we need people, they just hire the body. They're doing the opposite. They're hiring fast instead of looking for the right person that's really going to be able to elevate your business like John is saying. John, let me start with you. I know that you've been in charge of hiring and firing thousands of people for a large retailer, and I want everybody to hear how different companies do their hiring process. So before we kind of even get into some of the steps that we're going to talk about, maybe you can share what your hiring process was for that big retailer. For us, it was kind of easier because, you know, when you have when you work for a big established company, they have processes and things that are tried and true that work. And it kind of makes it easier for yourself as a manager who gets to make these decisions. We would have hundreds of applicants, hundreds of applicants a month that would come through. And I'll just kind of go through just the, the levels of how it worked. So if you were interested in working for the company, you would log on to a website, you would create an account, you would put all your information in there, look for an opening position that you're interested in, whatever opening positions are there, or if there aren't any, or just kind of leave it open, you would do that first, as long as they met certain requirements like age and stuff, like you couldn't be 15 years old or whatever, 14 years old or 13 years old, simple things like that. You had to be a U.S. citizen, valid, somebody who's supposed to be here. You're not on parole or whatever it was. You know, the simple things, once you pass that, then what you do is take like an aptitude test or like a little, it was a questionnaire. It was pretty neat. And you had, it was about a hundred questions and it was timed. And there were simple questions, but situational questions like, what would you do in this position? And they would give 
multiple choice like a would you do this would you do that would you do this what would you do if a customer did this to you or what would you do if your manager asked you this or just simple things and then multiple choice questions not any question no question was really wrong there were some that you know were pretty silly but what it did there was like an algorithm and it kind of computed and said it kind of took a snapshot of who you were as a person and how you would approach people and if that was a right fit for what we're trying to accomplish as an organization right the type of people we want working for us we are, are we looking for a friendly uh, willing to help uh, somebody who's willing to go out of their way to to make the customer's experience great or are you um take no shit i'm going to do what i'm what i'm supposed to do don't give me lip type of person and i would get a list of all these applicants and what their scores are there were minimum thresholds that told us hey we do not recommend you hire this person or you hire that person you bring this person in for an interview but ultimately i would be able to make the choice and override anything because you get to make your choice of who you hire and who you fire and you're responsible for that and that's how my company treated it we had a structure where we had department assistant supervisors department supervisors assistant managers and then me as a general manager so we would have meetings and i would go okay well we have an opening here we have an opening here even if we don't have an opening i think this person might be a good fit here and then we would pass out these the applicants and the names and we would have our operations department call them in and schedule an interview so they can come in and speak with the department head and the department supervisor would do an initial interview and if they feel good about them because we always believe that the people that we hired we want the people that are responsible for them or the people that are, are that are tasked to manage them or to train them also want them working for them so it works two ways so if it passes with the supervisor in that department then they would pass on the application over to the assistant manager and then the assistant manager and that's a more formal one the assistant manager would then sit down schedule an interview with them and if everything went well with the assistant manager then they would take that applicant and then they would schedule a third interview with myself and i'd have a pool of people that i would talk to and out of those people i would do the third and final interview and my interview was a little bit different i wasn't really worried more about the technical things you know those types of things i'm thinking more of like person as a whole and whether they're a good fit in an image for the company and the message i'm trying to drive and if it worked out and i wanted to offer them a job i would offer them a job give them a pay what position full-time, part-time, seasonal, and I would let them know that their job was contingent upon a successful passing of a background check and a drug screening. And if all went well and, all, and that happened and they showed up and did what they needed to do, then we would hire them and bring them on. Zach, what about you? What are some of the things that you do in your hiring process? Much simpler than that process, but ultimately that's what we're trying to get to. And I love it because it's multi-layer, right? And it's like a filter as it keeps going on. And, you know, when you start, when we're, you know, we're still small, but even from the beginning, it's like, it's just come in and talk at that point, you know, but lately we've been spending a lot of time reviewing our process and, you know, making tweaks to improve it. And one of the things that we've recently done is beefed up our job ad 
to attract more candidates because it's hard to make a hiring decision when you've only had three interviews. And that's how it had gone for us in the past. And I started thinking we need to get more people in and meet more people, have more conversations because you might find a good candidate in three interviews, but in 20 interviews, you might find that amazing person that's completely bought in and truly wants to be there and has a lot of the skills or qualities that you're looking for. You know, another thing that we have done is offer a sign-on bonus. And that's one of the things that I've been, you know, talking about how the, everyone has beefing up their wages and their benefits. You know, we've decided to go with a sign-on bonus for new hires and a recognition bonus for our existing team. And uh, something new we're working on for the interview process, I was talking to you about it, Edgar, is a skill assessment. And, you know, some of it is as simple as seeing if they're able to identify basic tools or even identify a pool filter and explain how it works. And if they have no pool experience, I'm not sitting here expecting them to be able to tell me how a pool filter works. I'm looking more for them to exhibit that they have a basic understanding of how a filter works in general, or to be completely honest and say, I honestly don't know how that works. You know, and those are just some of the things that we have going on right now to try to improve our process. Yeah, you know, for me, there was a couple of things that I looked for when I was hiring in hotels. And John, we kind of did a little bit. We didn't go as in depth. But an example, I had an assistant, uh, two of them that would interview. And then once, obviously, HR would screen them first, do a basic interview. Then we'd have the assistant. And then you know, I would interview. When I looked at, at the hourly staff, most of the people that applied didn't have the hotel experience. If, if I was hiring for that hourly position, experience wasn't my focus. For example, I looked for other things like the personality, not for the skill. I knew that most of them didn't have that experience and I was going to have to sit there and train them. So to me, you can train a skill, but you can't train a personality. Now, for management jobs, those are different, right? You're kind of looking for the experience. They have to have the experience. But when I was looking to hire an hourly person, most of the people coming into the hotel business don't have experience. So you have to look at other things. And some of the things like what you were talking about, John, with will they fit into this position that they're applying for? Do they have the personality? Do they have the image? All of those things. And so transitioning that into pools, it was the same thing. I knew that most of the guys that I was hiring didn't have any pool experience. So... I was looking for other things. I was trying to do the interview and kind of get down into, you know, their personality. I'm trying to get them to feel comfortable and asking questions that I could get that personality and those traits to come out so that I could see how they were going to be in that position that I put them in. They're going to be interacting with the homeowner. So an example, if I'm asking questions and I have somebody say, oh, I can't stand needy customers, or they give me an experience where they exactly. went off on a customer, they blew a gasket and just told them to go to hell. And John, you probably can attest yep. to this. I've had Absolutely. some people tell me some, like you start asking them and they just start telling you and dropping F-bombs in the middle of the interview, how they told the customer to go, you know, screw themselves. For me in those hourly positions, those were the things that I was looking for. I was kind of digging down, trying to get a little bit more of the behavioral interview method. And that's really focusing on the behavior and the past performance because the way that they taught us, John, was the best predictor of future performance is past performance. So in other words, past behavior predicts your future behavior. For sure. And the majority of the time, right? People do change, 
But when you're dealing as like a, as a company, you need to look or as a business, you have to understand these things that there's a good chance that if they've been through five, six, seven, eight jobs in the last year or two, something's wrong here and something's happening. Or if they got reprimanded or they were written up for it because they had a lot of attendance issues or in the past where they were fired because of attendance issues. Well, you know what? Chances are history will repeat itself for the majority. And I think what you said is 100% absolutely correct. And that's exactly what we did too when we were doing it. And it's important for everybody to understand. And I want to highlight this is even though attitude and the way people are who they are and how they interact with people and customers, you're not going to look at everybody the same. You can't. You need to tailor what your expectations are of the employee, that potential employee, that applicant, based on the position that you're hiring for. So if you're hiring a manager, you can't expect the same characteristics than you would from someone who just might be a service tech. Or you can't expect the same characteristics from somebody who's maybe a customer service rep that you're looking for, somebody who's going to be answering phones and somebody who might be working in a warehouse. So if you want somebody who's outgoing, ready to rock and roll and has a positive attitude and all those things are really, really important and that can communicate well with customers and people is really important for an operations role or for somebody who talks to your clients face to face as the face of your business. But If you have an introvert or somebody who is just a hard worker and just wants to kick ass, do their job and is shy and maybe doesn't really like to talk, they might not be a great position for the front desk, but they could be awesome in the warehouse or somebody who doesn't interact with clients. So you can't, it's not a one size fit all approach and you have to just tailor what you're looking for. You have to have a a baseline of what you're looking for based on the position that you're hiring for. No, that makes total sense. And that's really important for people to understand out there that you can't look for the same skill set and the same thing for every single employee. That's a great point. Great point, John. Zach, what are some of the things that you look for when you're looking for candidates? So, I mean, some things that we look for, like you said, is past experience and length of employment. And you know, oftentimes you will see a list of seven jobs in the past two years. And it, to me, it's usually an indicator that we will be the next shortstop in the journey. And we've actually had to kind of go through that and experience that several times to start saying, yeah, that, that really adds up and makes sense now. And it's funny to me because there's one thing that used to really just kind of bug me. It was when people don't capitalize their name on their resume and it's just a silly thing. And I was talking to my dad one time and he's like, are you looking for them to write an English paper or are you looking for them to clean pools? And it really kind of opened (laughs) my eyes to what you guys were just saying. And, you know, you kind of broaden your outlook by thinking that way, if that makes sense. Like you said, having the appropriate skill set for the appropriate role. You know, another thing, as far as past experience, like if I see something that's entirely office work, then generally working outside in the Texas weather is not going to be a good fit. And what I'm starting to discover is that even though we have like these in-depth discussions about working in the outdoor elements and the Texas weather, you'll find that most people say, yeah, no problem. I love being outside or I love working outside, but they don't really understand what it's like 
to work outside and spend all day in the elements and the wind, the rain, the heat, the shine. Um, it's a lot different than just, I love being outside. So, you know, those are some of the things we look at and we're still learning as we continue to go through this process. And as time goes on, I will continue to beef it up. Out here, especially Zach, the weather is just so crazy. So you're in California, the weather's a little bit more steady. You really do have some times where it's cold and hot. But they're not, you know, they kind of come at least where I was. I know John's been in some crazy weather out there, but where I was in Anaheim, you'd kind of get those two, three weeks that it was in the high 90s, maybe 100. But for the most part, the weather was continuous. And out here in Texas is very different because we joke around all the time. You don't like the weather. Just wait 20 minutes. It's going to change. Zach, the other day out here, it was nice. I wake up the next morning. I go outside to go feed the dogs. And it was like, 80% humidity. It was like you walked out and it just like smacked you in the face and you're like, wait a second, what the heck? So our elements out here are definitely a lot more important. And that's probably something that an example, if I was looking in Orange County to hire, you know, that's a thing that doesn't fit into that interview because it's obviously not an issue there. Kind of interesting talking about it. Hey guys, let's take a quick word from our sponsors. When we come back, John, I got a couple questions for you. The SPPA is dedicated to the niche general liability insurance needs of pool and spa professionals. As industry leaders, we'll fight for you, protect you, and be there for you. We provide extraordinary service before and after the membership and insurance is in effect. Insured members of the program get the best customer support and have peace of mind that their alliance is their voice and always fighting for their program and insurance needs. We proudly insure thousands of pool and spa professionals across the United States. With over 30 years encompassing the pool and spa industry, we know the needs of pool and spa professionals. Through the SPPA program, there are three tailored and customized general liability insurance options to pick from. For more information on our programs and insurance options, visit our site at www.thesppa.com. The sound of you continually pitching pool care poles into the trash. The sound of you using an Ultimate Pool Tools carbon fiber pool care pole for years to come. Go to ultimatepooltools.com or Instagram at ultimatepooltools. Do you know the actual cost of the pool service you provide or the financial health of your pool business? If you don't, it can put you out of business. Pool Nation has created a business training that focuses on the financial side of your business. What we've done, guys, is we've put a training class together that focuses on five metrics that we've created. The goal is you do it, and by the time that you're done with the class, you have all those numbers, you have all that data. It is the only course that as you enter your data into our exclusive software, it will tell you how much money you are making or losing. It's that simple. We talk about the metrics, we talk about insurance, what to look for. We talk about billing software. By the time you are done with the training, you will know your exact cost to service a pool, fixed cost of cleaning, your average profit per pool, your average monthly rate, repair profits and profit percentage, and how much money you are actually making. And we have had people that have taken the class and had some cash flow issues and they've made some adjustments with their billing software and that's kind of solved that issue. During the training, utilizing our software, 
you will create your business profit and loss. Once you create your P&L, we will cover the fundamentals of the P&L and how important it is to the success of your business. For more information and the next training dates, visit www.poolnation.online. It's not about how much money you make. It's about how much money you get to keep. For more training dates, go to www.poolnation.online. Welcome back, everybody. We are talking to Zach and John. We're talking about the condition of the labor market. We're talking about hiring. And we had a question that popped up here, and I'm going to ask it and let you guys answer. Do you all like, and and this is the beauty of it, Zach, do y'all, because we're in Texas, baby, (laughs) hire with experience and maybe bad habits or train new to the industry? You want to take this, Zach? You want me to go for it? I'll go. So for us in the beginning, we were like, no experience. We want to train them the way that you know, we need them to operate. But as we're growing and we're implementing more, you know, processes and standards and policies and and structure, we're, we're implementing more structure. And I've talked about it in the past, but our attendance policy, I think one very fundamental thing of running a business is having good attendance um, and having people that aren't tardy for work every day. And I think that what we're finding that as we build this structure and hold them to that structure so that it's fair and consistent throughout our whole organization, we should be able to hire people with that experience and put them in our structure and then succeed. And I think that we're finding as we go through the interview process, we can kind of field or filter, you know, through the questioning and things like that, whether or not they're going to be able to fit within that structure. I think that's the key. If you don't have the process you don't have the structure or the things to you know hold them accountable to then you get that person with bad habits and they'll come in and you'll be out there with your broom and your dustpan behind them cleaning up the mess but if you have that structure you can find out real quickly whether they're going to you know continue to do those bad habits or they're going to be open to you know your methods and your processes me on that i have a, a little bit of a different approach to it Again, I've said this before many times. I believe that the hardest part about learning is what? Unlearning. Habit, right? We get into habits, bad habits that are hard to break. Same thing with learning. When you learn to do something the wrong way, it's very hard, very hard to break that habit because chances are that way you learned was a shortcut. And that's kind of how it works. And if that isn't an option or they haven't been taught that, who, but it doesn't say that eventually they're not going to figure it out or they might stray from how you taught them and cut corners down the road. But I've always found that it's, yes, it's more demanding as an employer, as a manager, as a supervisor, as a coworker to have somebody green or have somebody who doesn't have a clue. And it's just like, almost like, oh my God, you don't know this really. And it's, it's, sometimes we forget that, you know, like I even do it with mama and I just did it to her yesterday. And it's like, I caught myself and, you know, she, she called me up and she asked me a question and shame on me. Right. Um, I was having a shit day, but shame on me. And she was saying, okay, how do I do this? I'm like, what? You don't know how to do that. You know what I mean? And it's just, and I, I caught myself afterwards and I'm thinking, I'm like, dude, what the hell are you doing? Right. And sometimes 
and that's me and my wife, right? And I adore her and I love her. And, you know, I don't want her to feel bad, you know, but sometimes I might be a little bit more tougher on her, just like you are on the ones that you love. But when you bring somebody on new, I think the reward or the potential of how great they can be is much higher. You have a much higher potential. But, and this is a big caveat here, it is all dependent on you and your ability to be able to train them and teach them. So we talk about strength-based leadership and hiring people and focusing on what their strengths are and building them up and not worrying about what they're, what the things they hate doing. Well, if you suck at training people, you can be an owner of a company and you can be the guy or the girl that runs the company and is the big, the big honcho, right? But if you suck at training somebody and you don't, you lack that communication or lack the patience to be able to give them those skills, to help them acquire those skills, then you don't want somebody green. You want somebody who's better than you. You want somebody who excels in what, so you don't have to do that. So I would agree with Zach on that. You, you need somebody who understands it because God, I'm, I'm just a terrible teacher. And if you're self-aware, right? And you have that self-awareness, then you, it, there's just so many facets to this, you know? And again, what's the one common thing when we get deep into like the psyche of, of man is it's people, right? And they're just so complicated. And to do it right, you just have to really sit back and just under, try to understand people and emotions play such a big part in it. So I agree on both ways. I think I do well at conveying messages or teaching or helping people learn and understand. So I benefit from a clean slate because I can sculpt them and train them and teach them to do what I want them to do because our service and the way we approach things is different than the majority of other pool service companies out here where I'm at. So chances are, if I bring on somebody who already has experience and already knows the job, it won't fit into what I'm trying to do here. So I'm going to spend my time breaking down this building and the barriers before I can start putting my pieces or start putting the bricks there and building them up to what I need them to be in order to work for us. That makes sense. hundred percent. And I I'm totally with you on that. Um, I think for me, my finding is more of that we can start really looking at experienced people and we could do a better job of filtering out the ones with the bad habits that we would be spending that time breaking down. And we still want to avoid that. But I don't feel that everyone with experience necessarily has bad habits, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It's complicated, right? So complicated. It's so complicated, right? And if it was easy, you know, it's not, if it was easy, then everybody would be able to do it. But in order to truly figure this out, you have to really dig deep and you, it's a lot more than just black and white. It is all in the middle. It's all gray. And there's so many different contributing factors and things you have to It'll just, I mean, it, it can drive you to the brink of insanity. <laughs> it really can. But, you know, this is it. This is what it's about. And if you really want to be great at it, 
or if you really want to hire the best person, you have to take these things into consideration because it is the most important thing you can do for your business. It's, is. it's a process, John. It's, yeah. it's just like every other facet of your business. And you have to, A, learn it. It's a skill that you have to learn. You have to learn how to hire. You have to learn to figure out what questions to ask. You, so it's something that takes time. And I think a lot of people don't sit there and go, hey, you know, I really kind of don't have any interviewing skills. So I'm going to kind of go and try to figure out, you know, where I can find interviewing skills. And if you don't have a process, if you don't put one in place, if you don't know what you're looking for, if you're going 100 miles an hour and just trying to get bodies and trying to do things and trying to, you're, you're never going to be able to get better at the process. And just like you're saying, A, it's so complicated to begin with that if you're not putting something in place, if you're not looking at certain things, it's just going to make your life 10 times more miserable. And I agree with you both because I sit there and I kind of think, okay, do I want somebody with experience or do I want somebody with no experience? And to me, the whole training thing kicked into me off of experience, John, and I tend to kind of get my life experiences and then do the opposite of what they are. So I started working in hotels, the big line up front, everybody was checking in. I was new. I'd been there maybe for like three weeks. I figured, you know what? I I'm slow at checking people in, but at least I can get some people checked in, right? And I start to walk out the door and my manager comes to me and turns around and goes, you're too slow. Get out of my face. Get into the back. Go answer the phones. And I was like, holy cow. Jesus. But that same manager didn't spend the time training me to be able to you know, up my skills. So then those are things that I looked at. And as I became the assistant, as, as I became the manager, I said, I'm going to have a very solid training in place so that as I hire these guys, I'm going to give them all those skills that they didn't give me. Even with that, John, it's really interesting because you talk about it and I kind of go, wow, you know, would I hire somebody with no experience and kind of work that experience in or would I hire somebody only with experience? And I think, Zach, you were kind of talking about it. To me, it's like I do the same thing where it's like I'm going to look at somebody that has experience, but I'm going to try to look for the bad habits, which is different because then my interview kind of changes a little bit and I'm looking for different things. I'm not looking so much for the experience because I know that you have it. But I dig more into those situations and do they have those bad habits? But I think, guys, we could kind of sit here and just oh, talk can. about that topic for the next three hours. <laughs> and, look, and you bring up, look, you, you brought up a story when you, when you talked about like the manager and how they treated you, right? And how they yelled at you. I want to talk about a real quick story. And I think it's a real important part. And that's another key and another little nugget for, for you guys to take with you. In like my past life before, we did a lot of training and I was part of like a district wide where we would go to different stores and we would do different training. Before I became a general manager, I was a general manager in training and we went to different places and we did different things. And, and I was there with other general managers in the district within California and within the region and stuff like that. And, and we were training with the GM of that box or whatever. And I remember having conversation with the other guys in training and they would tell me, 
God, why am I here? Or, you know what I mean? Or look how he is, da, 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 you know what I mean? And, you know, it's a waste of my time. And that was a type of mentality because it just, to them, they felt like this person was not a good manager or not a good store manager, general manager, whatever. And I would sit back and, and they would ask me, you know, John, why are you paying attention? Why are you still there? And I, and I would sit back and I tell them, I go, look, I go, I got a pretty good idea of how to lead people and how I do my style of management. I challenge you to look at it in a different perspective. I go, watching this guy do what he's doing to me is gold. Because one of the most important things about learning is learning what not to do. And if you can benefit from the pitfalls and downfalls and mistakes that others make, and then you learn not to do them or know what they are when it approaches you, because it will. And then you can make the correct decision based off of the experience that someone else had, opposed to you having to live it yourself and deal with the consequences and the setbacks that'll happen to you because you made that same wrong decision because you were ignorant or you were never put in that position before. I sat and I learned more of what not to do than I learned what to do. Because learning what not to do teaches you what to do. John, let me ask you this. When you were hiring, and let's talk about hourly people, because we talk, we talk about the fact that when you're hiring, or at least when I hired managers or uh, directors or any of that kind of stuff, there's a totally different set of things that I'm looking for. So let's talk about hourly people. So when you were looking for hourly people, because we want, you know, our industry is a little bit more of the hourly what were the things that you were looking for in hourly people? Uh, heartbeat. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And Zach is like, yeah. Body, body, remember? body. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no. I mean, that's how it starts uh, in the beginning. <laughs> no, it is. Sometimes when you're desperate, right? It and, totally and you, is. you need it. But sometimes, you, I mean, you got to do it. And I think it falls back to what you said, Zach. I, I get it on the higher slowly part. Sometimes you can't, but you have to fire quickly and you just, you can't put up with it. Sometimes you got to take more of a chance based on the situation you're in, but that doesn't mean you you lower your standards after they've been on and allow them to to destroy what you what you're building because that's a whole nother mess. The number one thing I look for is attitude. Attitude is king for me. Attitude is hard to change. Body language. I always focused on eye contact, body language, appearance, how they speak. Do they listen? Are they paying attention? Do they seem eager? Do they seem desperate? Do they feel like they're better than me? Do they feel like they're nobody? Those are the things that matter the most to me because those are the things that are instilled. Look, and again, when it comes to habits, right, and bad habits, the longer you've done them, the harder they are to correct or to unlearn them. So some things, if they've just been a pool worker for a year or whatever, and they've done stuff like that, and that's how they train them, we always do things differently here and stuff like that. And we can, we can train them. We can show them how it's better because do it this way. This is what you get. And you reward them with great working environment. And they're going to want to do this for you because they want to make you happy because you make them happy. But attitude and persona and the vibe that is instilled in you from when you were born. And I'm no psychologist and I'm not there to try to change somebody's being. So the attitude they display to me is what I look for because it's hard to change attitude. 
So if I get a bad vibe on that, um, that is my number one turnoff and I'll immediately end it, you know, or I'll slowly let them out and say, okay, great. We'll, you know, we'll get back to you or we'll let you know once I have multiple positions or multiple applicants. And uh, once we make our decision, we'll call you if we decide to move forward and give you a job offer. But attitude is, is number one and skills like you were talking, you touched on it too. Those can be acquired, right? And that's our job. And I have no problem helping somebody acquire those skills. The other thing, and this is, I think is really important too. I know my weaknesses and I know what I'm not good at. And if somebody has skills in an area that I'm deficient or not that I'm not capable of doing it, but not that I don't enjoy doing it. And this goes back to strength-based leadership, right? Or hiring people and focusing on their strengths. If you can find somebody to fit that piece of the puzzle, like I don't like to do this or I don't like to do that. And if somebody has a skill and they like to do this and they like to do that, that is another big factor in hiring. So I look for that. John, Zach, now I know John needed some work done. And I said, hey, John, I could do that. And he, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll get back to you. I'll get back yeah, to you. I got a couple of people and he never heard back. So now I know what happened. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I kind of wasn't hired by John, even though I was going to do it for free. Yeah, right. Damn, well, I better go back and look at my, my, my skill set. Your attitude. Right now we're just my testing attitude. the water. Yeah. <laughs> He was smooth too. He was like, Hey, I'll get back to you on that. I'll let you know. There's a couple of people that we're talking to. He was willing to pay. I was willing to do it for free. So not even for free. Did I get the job? Dang. He went with someone he had to pay. That's how yeah. bad it was. Yeah. That's how Dang. bad it was. So Zach, let me ask you, I know that you posted a comment on here with some of the things that you look for, but what are some of the things that, that you look at? Well, I mean, we've covered most of it, but you know, like John was saying, attitude, I've, we've had a couple of them where I put it in the comments. Do they try to lead the interview? It's kind of weird. Like you're, you get in the middle of an interview and then you're kind of like, wait a minute, are we interviewing you or are you interviewing us? Cause they start kind of getting authoritative and assertive and asking the questions and you're, you know, you have to stop and realize what's going on. Um, another one would be, I, I kind of watch out for people who seem very coached in the interview process. And I have a tough one, a tough time with this one, because on one hand, it's like kudos for really doing your research and really learning. But then on the other hand, I kind of feel like maybe I'm being manipulated a little bit. Um, so I try to watch out for that. And there's just certain things that people will say or ask, um, in response to something that you say or ask that, you know, that's a very coached answer. I remember like interviews and stuff like, Oh, what are some of your weaknesses? And the number one thing is I work too hard or, you know, yes. or, or I'm just, oh, come on, give me a, right. So or, I'm just too dedicated or, you know what I mean? And I just, I'm too awesome. I just, yeah. I, you know, I just, that's like Michael Scott on the office. <laughs> I don't know if y'all have seen that, but another one we watch out for is if they constantly talk about bad leadership, their manager, their poor management. And I, I get it. There are poor managers out there, but if they're like their answers to everything, talk about how poor management was or management was the problem or their leader wasn't smart or whatever, then I kind of get the vibe that it's going to be the same situation here. 
maybe it's you, not us type of thing. So we watch out for that as as well. You know, another thing I think with people that are interviewing and stuff like that, if you guys are out there interviewing and you're not allowing the applicant to do 80% of the talking, you're doing something wrong. So that's something that you really need to focus in that interview process. You should be asking direct questions and digging deep to get to the bottom and not doing like the open-ended questions. John, one of the things that they taught us in interviewing classes, because we had to take interviewing certifications, and that was that, you know, history kind of tends to repeat itself. And I know I talked about it a little bit, but what I mean by that is the candidates will repeat their past behavior. So they always taught us to look for that when we were hiring. And Zach, you touched on it and you did too, John, which is if you have somebody that's had five jobs in the last five months, guess what? You're going to become the next victim of it. If they were, you know, terminated from a job a couple times for attendance, then that was going to be something that was going to happen. And they taught us to really kind of look for that behavioral aspect in the interviewing. Did you guys do that when you were in retail? Oh, yeah, uh, totally. Red flags always. You know, you look at certain things like multiple jobs, gaps in employment history, right? Like, dude, where have you been? You know, you're a young kid and, you know, you work for a year, you stop for two years, you work for a year and you stop for two years. Like, what are you doing? Or availability, like specific. Oh, I, I can't ever work nights or weekends or because I'm out, you know, I go out with my friends or I party or, you know, we do this or whatever. You know, just these little things that we, that you look for that are red flags. Absolutely. I think Zach hit it. One of the biggest things was, too, is we always dig deep into why they left their last job and we look for honesty and nine out of 10 times it's always they didn't treat me right or they didn't treat me fair and i believe that on a lot of cases that might be the case but what we listen for is their attitude about it and how they go about doing it so yeah there's always red flags but the good thing is is the majority of all those red flags were already filtered through through that test that we had people take and it asked questions from prior hit, uh, employment, how long they worked there. A lot of those red flags got filtered out before they even came to us so that we can do a first sit down interview. Zach, when you talk about, you know, having a multi-step or more than one person doing the interview, you said that you guys do the same thing, right? You guys have somebody interview first and then you interview them. Well, not necessarily like multiple interviews. However, we just did have our first uh, one and, and then a second interview and we're looking more towards that model. But how we've been doing it is, you know, if it's a maintenance technician, we have our maintenance manager conducts the interview. Uh, our HR representative, which is Leslie, is in there and I'm in there. And, you know, so there's three of us, which can be kind of intimidating. And that's why we've actually thought about moving towards a multi-interview process where it's like a one and a two. And I think that's all we'd really need at this point because of our size. But I just like to have multiple people in the room. You want to protect yourself with a witness. Um, so it's not a he said, she, she said thing, if anything were to come up. And then it just gives different perspectives because I might see something that Leslie's not seeing, and then you can kind of communicate on all your candidates after that and compare notes and compare feelings and things like that. 
So I think you hit on a great point. Yeah, I, I think that, John, that's another important thing is that people at the end, they go through the interview process and they don't sit down at the end and kind of go through what they put on their resume versus what they or their application versus what they said in the interview. So there, there really has to be that process of sitting down and kind of going through the candidates and talking to somebody else about it so that you can kind of catch those things. And look, another thing before I forget, if at all possible, when you go through, you should definitely, there should be multiple interviews with different people. But I understand that if you're not in that position and it's only you and you're hiring your first person, you really can't do that. But when you're in a position where you have multiple employees and you can perform multiple interviews, try your best to have, if you're a man and you're interviewing, have a woman interview also as like the next interview because women have intuition and they see things and they feel things and applicants and people men or if it's man or woman woman or man either way opposite sex is what i'm getting at people's persona changes on how they talk to a man or how they might talk to a woman and sometimes you see telltale signs or or things like that that you would not notice if it was a guy and a guy or a girl and a girl and those are like little things you can do. And we also did back in my time that kind of helped me go, oh, no, no, no. This is a vibe I got. And we take that into consideration, too, when we, when we do a hiring. Now, John, did you guys do a lot of panel interviews? So for an example for oh, us, we, we only did panel interviews where we had multiple people like that when it was a director and above. We didn't for anything under that. What about you guys? When, when I interviewed, like for my positions and stuff like that, I was there with all the district and territory managers and I hated those free interviews, right? Those blue <laughs> pro, right? I was just sitting there going like, and because you know me, I'm a people, I'm a reader and I'm trying to think and I'm like, oh my God, I'm sitting here with like five territory and regional vice presidents and managers and they're all talking and doing their thing. And it's just, it was like it's the worst experience. And I would try to avoid doing that because you will put somebody in an uncomfortable position. I don't have a problem talking to people. I can talk to anybody. I can tell them how I speak, how I feel. I don't, I don't, have, a, I don't have a problem getting in front of a hundred people or a thousand people and just talking. I've gotten over my fear of, of public speaking. But me in a room with people you know, that are above me or a job that I want, and there's, it's intimidating, right? And I, I say avoid doing that. But I have sat in the back of a room when an interview was taking place, and I've done it purposely. Or I'm back on my computer in my office and we had a big, I had a good size office and I'd be on the back on the computer and then the supervisor would bring in an employee and interview them or my assistant manager would bring in, I mean, I'm sorry, an applicant interview them and I would just sit there and listen. And I did that and not be a part of it because I didn't want to be intimidating, but I did that so that when they left, I can help coach my supervisor or my assistant manager or coach my assistant manager or coach the, assistant, the supervisor on how they did in the interview and what they should be asking for, maybe what they missed and use that as an opportunity. I purposely did not do that, even though it was okay or an, assist, an assistant manager and us or me would sit there and other stores would follow that process or do that type of interviewing. I chose not to do it because I think it's just too intimidating for the employee or for the applicant. Now, let me ask you something totally side note, not related to interviewing. I just want to see your, your personality type. And I think I know what it is in, <laughs> in the retail industry. And so you're a GM. So you obviously have your regionals that come in to visit. And then at some point, you might even have the CEO do a, a visit. 
what was there there's a lot of people that take the approach of they're afraid to kind of speak it and say it how it is even to those people above and so my wife tells me i don't have that filter right so it doesn't matter if i'm talking to my regional or the ceo or whatever when i have my point i i put my point across and some people kind of sometimes go, oh, shit, I can't believe he said that, right? And I, I don't say it rude or I'm not any of that, but, you know, if I feel strong about it, I'm going to put it out there. Yeah, uh, was that the same culture that you guys had in the retail? Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody shit a brick every time district or regional. I mean, we, I know other GMs and stuff are like, they had like the bat line, right? Oh, my God, they're in town. Or scouts on the roof with binoculars with, with license plate numbers. You know, so they can see when they're coming in and, you know, and they're all everybody's on their best behavior or they're doing an audit or or whatever. But with me, I always feel that if you're doing what you're supposed to do and you got nothing to hide, you got nothing to worry about. And I speaking truth to power, I think is good, but I think you need to do it with respect because you don't know how they are and you don't have control over what they do. You're you're not their boss. I've put my foot in my mouth, I think, a couple times, and I've had my DM call me and say, John, what the hell were you talking about? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, damn it. <laughs> so next time they come in, get in your car and go home. <laughs> you know, you just leave. You know what I mean? You're, he's all, you know how many phone calls I got? Because of what you said, you know what I mean? Or like, God, you know, I got this guy breathing down my neck now. Or it said, what? you know, what, what, what did he mean when he said this? It's just like, ah, whatever, you know, because I get frustrated. This is what I, I got pissed off about was like, how dare you bastards come in here right now and disrupt what we're trying to do here, right? You are, you want me to put on a dog and pony show every time you walk my store, you know, and SOP this and SOP that. And this is and that, you know, when we're talking about what we're doing, how we're doing it, we're a little bit different. We stick to the, the guidelines and what needs to happen and stuff like that. But you know, I've seen it all the time because I've been a part of audits where we go there and go through a checklist. Do they have this? Do they have this? Do they have this? And you go there and then everybody's attention is not on the customer and doing what we're supposed to do there and taking care of our clients or our people that are there. And now we're catering to these guys that are walking in the building or these girls that are walking into the building that are judging us. Well, that's my job as a store manager. And if there is an issue with something, then you come talk to me about it and then you reprimand me or hold me accountable to it. Don't go there and talk to my employees or critique anything on the floor or interact in my business. And that was my mentality. Sometimes that, you know, I don't think they really liked it. It's just like, you know, well, we just wasted two hours of our life right now putting on a show for you. I remember a situation that I was in and I was working in hotels. And so we had all these regionals come over to the hotel and they're talking about, you know, changing these procedures right. and doing this and implementing this. And I'm sitting there, it's sitting at this conference table and I'm like, these guys have absolutely no clue what the hell they're talking about. Right. right. The, the day-to-day right. operation no is very clue. different. And, and I wasn't a GM then I was an assistant GM and we're sitting there at the table and so they basically, in their way, kind of decided what it was that was going to happen <laughs> and what they were going to do. And so the regional turned around and asked me and goes, so, Edgar, what do you think? And oh, just boy. very nicely, I said, <laughs> look, I completely do not agree with anything that you guys are saying. And everybody just kind of went, oh. And my GM just looked at me like, how dare you just right. freaking open your mouth and you say that? And I said, look. 
I'm going to tell you why don't I agree with I don't agree with that. And here's one, two, three, four, five. I go, but look, I'm a team player. So let's do this. Let's go in and try it. And if that doesn't work, then let's go do what I want to do, which is this, this, and this. All the the people that were there, they're like, oh yeah, that sounds like a great plan. I'm like, look, I'm a team player. I'm on board. Let's do it, right? But if it doesn't work, you have to give me the option to do what it is that I want to do. And sure enough, man, we went out. Three months later, it wasn't working. I go back over to my GM and I'm like, I remember Sean told you this wasn't going to work. And he just sat there and he's like, switch it over. But of course, he had handed it to me going back to the hotel going, how did you ever open your mouth and do that? I'm like, it's just my style. You know, I'm, and like you said, not disrespectful, but yeah. anyways. So we got off topic, guys. Sorry about that. But I just wanted to, I kind of know John and I wanted to see what his approach was in those type of situations. So we've talked about that, you know, that it's important to make sure that you have the multiple people doing the interview process and, and obviously having those people there so that you can get other point of views. Those are really kind of important for us. Zach, John, do you guys think we should, we've already been going for an hour and a half. John, I know that you really need to get out there today and do a couple appointments that you have. We still have the whole part where we wanted to go into detail with the three steps and, and the things within those three steps. Are you guys okay with, you know, maybe stopping this podcast here and kind of coming back and doing a part two? And then what we do is we focus solely on the steps and everything that goes within those steps. Yeah, I think, I mean, I personally think so. I think there's just so much detail that needs, you can't just gloss over this. This is so important, especially the structure that we're going to get into that. I think being able to talk about experiences and examples and kind of dig down deep is going to be real beneficial to everybody and to kind of rush through it probably won't do it any justice. So I I think we should do a second one. What do you think, Zach? Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's a lot more that could be added to it. That sounds great. So let's do this, guys. Let's take a word from our sponsors. And then what we'll do is, John, Zach, I'll get your final thoughts. And then for everybody listening, we're going to do a part two to this where we talk about the three steps. And Zach, John, and I will take each one of those steps and we'll kind of break it down for you guys. So let's take a word from our sponsors and we will be right back. The Hyperpole from Ultimate Pool Tools is a pool care pole designed by pool professionals for pool professionals, featuring precision-crafted carbon fiber and stainless steel construction. Go to ultimatepooltools.com or Instagram at ultimatepooltools. Pool pros have specific needs when it comes to general liability insurance. The SPPA program has you covered. With three tailored and customizable general liability options, SPPA makes it easy for pool pros to feel secure. Find out more and get covered at the SPPA.com. Did you know that one of the main reasons why small businesses fail is because owners are less in tune with how much revenue is generated by sales of product or services and the cost to provide this product or service? This leads to money shortfalls that can quickly put a small business out of operation. Do you know the actual cost of the pool service you provide or the financial health of your pool business? If you don't, it can put you out of business. Pool Nation has created a business training that focuses on the financial side of your business. It is the only course that as you enter your data into our exclusive software, it will tell you how much money you are making or losing. It's that simple. 
By the time you are done with the training, you will know your exact cost to service a pool, fixed cost of cleaning, your average profit per pool, your average monthly rate, repair profits and profit percentage, and how much money you are actually making. During the training utilizing our software, you will create your business profit and loss. Once you create your P&L, we will cover the fundamentals of the P&L and how important it is to the success of your business. For more information and the next training dates, visit www.poolnation.online. It's not about how much money you make. It's about how much money you get to keep. For more training dates, go to www.poolnation.online. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking to John and Zach. We're doing a deep dive into the labor market conditions, hiring. Let me see. I'm going to flip a coin here. Zach, final thoughts. As we continue to grow, we're finding, you know, how important the hiring process really is from the job ad all the way through the end, through the onboarding and the training and even ongoing training. And it's becoming more important for us because of the time and money costs, as well as the safety of the entire business and the existing team. And that's something we all have to keep in the back of our mind as we're you know, interviewing candidates and hiring new people is this isn't just about the business and that candidate. It's about the entire team and the people throughout your organization, because it's real easy for a bad apple to sneak in and negatively impact your company or put you out of business or do something extremely damaging. And that affects everyone within the organization. So that's where it's really on you to do your due diligence and make sure you're making a right decision. Um, you know, and the last thing I'll kind of touch on is that I understand when you're small, you know, the whole statement about hire slow, fire fast, we, we tend to do the opposite because you wait until that moment that you're in a, a dire situation and you need that help and you make a quick decision. And then what happens is you get dependent and you, you can't afford to let that person go at this time. And then it becomes a vicious cycle because when that person leaves or you finally have to let them go because they've done something so extreme, you, you put yourself back into that higher, fast, fire, slow. So just make sure you're planning and put a little bit of time and um, and plan ahead. You know, I don't know how many times we've been overstaffed, but it's just, in, you know, you got to find that balance, but it's just a preparation to try to gear up so that we don't find ourselves in that position. Anyways, I, I hope everyone has a good uh, weekend and I wish everyone the best in their hiring efforts. John. I'm kind of, I talked a lot today. Um, I think I've given a lot of thoughts. My final thought is I, I really, really love this podcast. And I don't know if you guys can tell, but this is the kind of stuff that really gets my engines moving. Um, this is my passion, my love. I like people. Um, well, not all people, trust me, but I like under, try to, the, the, the concept of trying to understand people and what makes them tick and what drives them. And, um, I've done a lot of it in my lifetime and speaking about this stuff, I'm really passionate about because I've experienced so much of it and, and um, I think I got a pretty decent idea about it and I'm, and I'm constantly learning. So um, I'm looking forward to doing another, uh, the other podcast on it and talking a little bit about more, you know, some more of our experiences and, and hopefully people can learn from it, you know, cause that's the whole purpose of this is we want, these are the things we've been through. 
And these are the little things that matter the most. This is what differentiates you from the competition, right? How do you get from, from average to good, from good to great, to great, to legendary? And that's our journey. So, um, and it all starts with people, right? You are your first employee, right? And you determine what happens. And then when you start bringing on your other employees, uh, they determine what happens to your business. So, um, this is, this is, I think we could have 10 parts on this and I think we should revisit it multiple times because, um, for, for anybody who's listening that wants to grow, right. And not only then look, forget this about business. This is life, right? Forget about hiring employees, this same concept and this same mentality and the way you talking and, and uh, when you talk to people and you understand them can apply to everything you do, right? The one Everything in life, as soon as you walk out the building, as soon as you wake up, if you're blessed with the family and blessed with the wife and blessed with friends, if you, or even if you're not, right, ultimately at one point in your life, you're going to have to interact with people, right? And when you interact with people, if you understand them better, if you can appreciate them, right, and if you can, and then, then, then chances are it'll benefit you too, right? It can be a mutual benefit. So apply this not just to this, but just to everything in life and how you, how you approach people. Cause people are complicated, so complicated yet. So simple, you know what I mean? So there you have it. I think this is a great topic. This is a kind of stuff that we love to talk about and love to share. So we will end the podcast there. Zach, John, thank you for your time. We will catch you guys next week. Have a great one. See you guys later. Thanks for listening to the Pool Nation podcast, a member of the Pool Nation family. You can listen to us live every Friday here at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Central, and 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. You can find us at Pool Nation or PoolNationPodcast.com, on Facebook, or on Instagram at Pool.Nation. And to find more info about Pool Invoice, the billing software built specifically for the pool industry, go to PoolInvoice.com. Before you go, this is what the pool industry has been waiting for. PoolManUniversity.com. It's the first platform dedicated to learning the swimming pool service and repair industry. A pool service community where you can connect and find videos on business, service, water chemistry, and repairs. See you there at PoolManUniversity.com. Pool Nation, all rights reserved. No part of this podcast may be reproduced in a verbal or nonverbal way, may not be distributed. It may not be distributed in any social media platforms or transmitted in any other forms or any other means, including recording or other electronic or mechanical methods without the prior written permission of Pool Nation.